Must be like the wolf pack, not like six pack. Teamwork. Yes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of There's No I in Podcast, a podcast about teams. It's about leading teams. It's about being in teams. It's about getting the most out of your team. I am Mark Johnson. I'm a performance teacher and a uh, performance maker. I'm joined, as always, by sports coach Sean Gallagher. How are you doing today, Sean? I'm very well, Mark. Thank you. What has been on your plate this week? This week? Um... The kind of house system setup is going really well. Um, I'm really enjoying us having one and it's great now. We're doing these like Friday meetings where we're giving out the house total points uh, and we're getting the staff members attached to the houses to kind of rock up as well. And just celebrating success is really, really nice. We, we had two uh, students who, who take art, who sort of had a first and second place best artwork. So that got congratulated and they won house points for that. And we've got competitions coming left, right and centre now that students are getting involved in. You're running a health charter, which has, you know, all of the kind of well-being side of things in terms of sleep and screen time and exercise. Um, and they're all coming and the students are getting involved in those because they're challenges. So they're not only helping them themselves sort of from a mental health point of view but also winning house points so yeah I'm really enjoying it and I see huge benefits of it to come sort of across the wider community so we're hitting both of our hot spots there aren't we of competitiveness and uh, celebration it's so important that celebrating success because it's it it just reinforces a bunch of why to do a thing but also why we did a thing to acknowledge that there was value in it exactly and then i think on a completely separate note um sort of outside of our working place um is the fact that the premier league look like they're going to start having pay-per-view for premier league games now i don't have the whole details but i did see the news story and so with fans not being in the stadium, they may be starting us to start getting us to pay to to watch these games individually, uh, much like a boxing match, um, which I'm not a big fan of. I was so going to say, is that going to change? Is that going to change the experience for like? Because I mean, I know that a lot of these games are often on paid for channels, but if you're if you're picking and choosing, does that change how you support a team? I'm not sure. I just think that because the biggest thing is like whether this means that if you have a subscription to, you know, Sky or or Virgin or something like that, that you're still not going to get those games now and that you're going to have to pay for them when you're already paying a monthly subscription. So that bit I'm confused about. If we were to just say that, you know, forget those companies for a second, then it's just going to be anyone can choose to just pay-per-view for games. Uh, I feel like you'd, probably go down the pub to watch it more and assuming that's an option covid well that's what i mean in a time of covid that seems a strange thing to be pushing people into pubs to watch live sport because they know they're not going to have to pay to watch the game they'll just be paying for their drinks so it's a very confusing one but i just wanted to bring it to the table because yeah there may be things that that come up uh from that over the next couple of weeks but yeah i do not want to be paying 16 pound for a game <laughs> yeah well we, we talk so much about the 
you know, participation in the being in teams. We haven't massively covered fandom or fanhood. No. Like, and this, this applies a little bit to who we've got on today, but the idea that sports without supporters don't exist they're not a thing um you know as we're as we're playing games with no supporters in the in the stadium they have to access it elsewhere it's important that they get an opportunity to see it is putting a financial barrier up a good business decision let alone a good supporters choice um exactly and it's a question that we talk uh to this week's guest about uh We've got a chap called Andy Edmeads on today. And Andy is a theatre manager. And obviously, during the last several months of of COVID, theatres have been uh, without shows because they've been without audience. So they've had to shut down for the sake of health and safety. Uh, They are starting to reopen now. Um, But we got Andy on to talk about keeping teams together when the entire building has to shut down. Um, but also how he is engaging with not just audience, but community during a time of COVID. And it's a, it's a fascinating chat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Really enjoyable. Um, and uh, yeah, I think people will get a lot out of this, especially from a community point of view and also just, you know, an insight into how the entertainment kind of industry has been affected at this time over the last few months so without delaying any further let's listen to andy edmeads so i am hugely uh, privileged to introduce to the podcast venue manager for camberley theater andy edmeads hello andy hi mark and hi sean thank you for coming on andy so that's the briefest possible introduction i could give um we normally ask our guests perhaps you could give us a little rundown of uh where you've come from and what has brought you to to being the venue manager of a theater so i've been in this current role for four years um and before that i was an actor I got into theatre marketing, events management, um, teaching, drama. I mean, theatre has been something I've, I've done since I was about 10, really. And it's, it's kind of all I was ever interested in, all I was ever good at. Um, so it's great I've managed to find a job that will have me. Um, so I've been <laughs> at Camberley um, in this role for, like I say, four years. But um, I was there also a year or so previous um, in a slightly different role. Um and it's great. It's, it, I love I love the variety that the job gives me and um, the different stuff we get to do. Um, it, it's, it's currently the perfect job for me. So I'm a bit of tra- challenging the year this year, as you can imagine. We'll get to that later, I'm sure. No um, yeah. But yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's great. And I think everything that I've done in the past has kind of led me to where I am now. It's interesting you say that, actually, because we've spoken to, you know, a fair few people on this podcast now. And heard that the version of that story from each of them and I find it fascinating because I am also a person who was an actor and wanted to be an actor and now doesn't particularly do any acting other than a little bit for fun but still feels like that's part of what I do so it's interesting the way you describe this job fitting even though acting was all that you said you wanted to do Mm. Um, like is there a way that that it kind of m- makes its way into your daily 
Did, are you an actor at work, Andy? Uh, I try not to be. I try not to be. <laughs> and, um, but it's, it's funny, actually, though, because uh, when I was uh, a sort of a full-time actor, I now class myself definitely as a ex-actor. Yeah. I, I didn't stop doing it because I wasn't getting any work or because I couldn't afford to eat. I, I stopped doing it. I stopped enjoying it. And so I took a mm. break, and that break was meant to be for six months, and it just carried on and on and on. And I now genuinely have absolutely no desire to, to go and do it again. What I do now massively fulfills me enough, both like personally and professionally, that I don't... I mean, never, you never say never in life, do you? But certainly I don't harbour any ambitions to go and do Andy, it Andy, it's Steven Spielberg. I want you to come and be in my next movie. I mean, he's always calling me. I wish he'd stop. It's really annoying. Um, but no, you know, seriously, I, ne- I never, I, I don't have an ambition to do it. And, and it's funny because last, um, last Panto season, our, our dame um, fell ill, um, very ill, um, and couldn't perform. So we had to rejig the cast around on the morning of the final two shows um, and see what we could do. And one of the solutions was that I would go on as one of the talking trees. Um, and I can't tell you the the fear, the fear I had. All I had to do was step inside a tree carcass on stage and read from a script, 10 lines, 10 lines, that was it. And the fear, the sweaty palms, the nerves. And afterwards, everyone's like, oh, did you love it? Did you love it? Is it going to be the start of you going back on stage? Absolutely not. No way. No way. <laughs> I feel like that was a completely different life away. So I do think that this this job I do now, just it gives me enough of um, an outlet to sort of play and be creative. And I love producing the shows and organising events and working with people that do perform, you know, working with the choreographer and director and actors. But I sort of get my enjoyment out of seeing them do it. Um, rather than feeling like, oh, I wish I was, wish I was doing that now. Would you say, Andy, at the peak of your acting and the peak of what you do now, is the what what you do now better? Would um, you say at the peak of both? I would say it's better quality, <laughs> um, better quality, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and it's more consistent. And um, yeah, I, I get I get a lot more consistent rewards from this job now. Um, right. my life, my work life balance is tons better. Um, I think when you're trying to establish, uh, establish yourself as a performer and when you are even an established performer, you're constantly on the go worrying when your next job's going to be, or I found I wasn't turning anything down because I was conscious that soon I might not have a job, but that, that downtime never sort of seemed to come. I was always doing stuff. Uh, always then you're that person that can't go to weddings or parties and stuff because you know you've got work and the show comes first was now it's nice to have a time when I've got tons of stuff that's really important but I can have a bit of a life as well and I think once you once you get out of that cycle of everything else coming second to the show then it's really hard to go back into it if you wanted to Mm. there's something interesting that I took from that that I will often consider acting and performance as one of the ultimate expressions of collaboration. It's a, it is a massive team effort, but it comes with the secondary quality of when you're not actually in the show, that it's one of the most solitary, one of the most isolating careers that the that you only really get the good stuff when you're in a show and that actually the low of not being in the show or the dip in between 
is is something entirely different and it does take a toll or have a cost when you're when you're accounting for the entire period of time there are lots and lots of kind of credits but that's quite a massive debit each time that you have to go back to particularly if you know you're you're not in a performing relationship which lots of people are like we find that that performers end up dating each other and uh, because they're the, they're the ones who get it did you did you find that that it felt solitary when you weren't doing it yeah i mean i've, I've always i've always had other other jobs and other sidelines to keep busy i think that's how i ended up doing what i do now because i i was doing press for a stand-up comedy company i was doing um you know organizing events for and teaching youth theatre, and I was always keeping busy because I was trying to fill that downtime. But you're right; it is when when you're with with a bunch of people rehearsing a show, it's it's the best feeling, isn't it? And I even get that now when I work on a production in a sort of producer capacity. But yeah, when 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 there is no show or when you can't do shows, and particularly that feeling at the moment when you, you're very helpless, you can't put stuff on. Um, it is it is quite a lonely existence, I think. I'm I'm always super super kind of interested, and I feel feel like there could be documentaries and just more stuff on kind of actors' pathways because I feel like the ones that get to the top, it's almost like you never hear about the struggle. I know some actors like to talk about their struggle to the top, but we I don't feel like we see the the kind of real deep, in depth struggle that it takes with rejection on rejection on rejection, and you having to find your work solely you by yourself, maybe you have an agent, but you know, it's really not that glamorous. And me and Mark have spoke about different industries. You know, we've had people on here from the fashion industry, just talking about behind the scenes. It's not that glamorous until you finally make it. Um, it must be tough. Yeah. And that's that, that, that percentage of people that make it, you know, is slim. It's, it's really small. I mean, I know heaps of people who's, who make a living out of performing but they still struggle to get work or they you know they'll have they'll do it i work with an actor who's an incredible actor really really great actor did a brilliant job for us one christmas um rave reviews everyone loved him didn't work again creatively until the following year when we rehired him through absolutely no fault of his wow. own um very one i think one tour cancelled um but, you know, he worked front of house at a theatre. Um, there's no shame in that, but that's not what he wants to do. Um, but he's an exceptional performer. Um, and there's there's tons and tons and tons of those those people. So it is, like you say, the, the struggle, I think, does go a bit unheard because no one likes to moan about it, do they? Yeah. It's not a very good uh, conversation point. And particularly at the moment, that idea that is circulating of those people who are involved in arts careers and the performers and the actors, um, you know, just retrain as we're <laughs> yeah, getting in the moment. Just, we've got a website where you can put in what you're interested in and we'll tell you what job you should go become, yeah, uh, yeah. which is, I remember being told to consider the, the acting, the job of acting is not the job. It's the everything else. That's the job. You know, the graft is being out of work and the acting is kind of like the reward. Uh, so to be told, having worked really hard at just trying to get work, to be told that that, 
that job isn't valid and we can't mm. afford to, to support that as a, as a government must be quite galling for people in uh, your industry. Yeah, and then especially when you then do this really helpful step-by-step guide to be told what job you could do with your skills and what do you get, lo and behold, actor. Um, <laughs> gee, what a great website. Um, really helpful, thanks, guys. Um, no, you're right, it's, it's crazy. And the, and the other thing that really gets me is uh, this whole, I, I don't know if it's changed now, but certainly when I was my, in my early 20s, um, that you know you you get in jobs and they say oh we can offer you can't offer you payment but um you know great experience we'll put a really good word in for you i can't call a plumber up and say oh i've got some leaky taps um i can't afford to pay but hey my mate dave down the road um, he's looking for a plumber so if you do a good job for me i'll put a good word in for you with dave it doesn't work like that with any other industry but this one it's fine to do it that way so yeah, I, I, I hope that maybe we get a bit of a reset with uh, with the coronavirus pandemic, mm. but it's, then you get, uh, you know, unhelpful suggestion to retrain and it seems that we haven't really got anywhere. I, f- I feel like on that point, that's where me and Mark have found sort of crossover as well, because I feel like one another industry in that same vein is sport, which is my background, because it is very much when you're trying to get to the elite level, everything they want you to do for free. Mm. You know, everything is experience, experience, but, you know, experience, the experience isn't going to pay your bills. So no. yeah, I definitely feel it, you on it's that It's seen one. as a hobby, isn't it? It's seen as something mm. nice. I mean, exactly. my nan, bless her, my nan never, ever, ever got the fact that from the age of 12, 13, I wanted to be an actor. She'd ask me every week, I'd go around and she'd, oh, what do you want to do when you leave school? I want to be an actor, nan. Oh, lovely. Oh, that's really nice. And she'd be really happy for me. But <laughs> ne- next week she'd forget. Whereas if I'd say, I want, to, I want to be a builder or I want to go and be an accountant, it's something she could sort of, hold on to she she'd understand that it wasn't until, exactly. until i done a tv job i did a telly job when i was about 17 suddenly she could see me on the telly for that suddenly <laughs> yeah. everything that's else our done. Andrew. yeah that's my andrew <laughs> nothing else mattered suddenly she was like ah oh, okay the penny dropped for her because she could see it so it's, it's strange what people's perception of sort of made it is um, yeah. and how they value your 100%. viability of a career so there's something I wanted to just drop back into uh, because I I know it quite well and, and I think Sean you were speaking to a similarity within sport of um, the environment and the expectation and the 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 nature of the teams that they are, that, that that exist of just kind of mucking in or stepping up in the absence of other people. So you were talking about as the venue manager and in that in that case you were the producer of that particular show that there was an expectation or just it it wasn't a crazy idea to say to you, well why don't you jump in as the producer. Now I've been in those environments where where there is a part of the reason we're in them is that sense of everybody mucking in. Um, I find it interesting that that exists even in the, the professional environment of, a, you know, a, I'm assuming profit-making council owned uh, theatre business that when we lose our, <laughs> when we lose our dame, that the producer's going to whack on a tree costume. Yeah. Well, you know what? In the end, I was actually just happy to be the tree rather than the dame, which was one of the options. <laughs> we went through all the options, and, and me being a tree was the uh, the, the, the most sensible. Um, but I think I just think my my uh, my my background and sort of upbringing is that you just the show must go on. It's a cliche, but you have you do whatever you do because the alternative was the show didn't happen, and we've got eight hundred disappointed people 
looking forward to finishing the year on a high with Panto on New Year's Eve and we can't give it to them um, mm. when realistically there was an option. You know, if there's no theatre and it's burnt down, then, you know, we can deal with that. But when it's just a case of one person's dropped out, there is an option and it's a bit crazy, but if I can step into a tree and um, everyone else can pull their weight as well, it, it's not as to think, it's not, it wasn't just me stepping into that role. The, the guy who was the tree, our choreographer, he was then in the dame's dresses learning the you know it's, it's a it's a it's a part of a, a big machine to make that happen even those that weren't changing role they had to then be aware that someone else was and help that person and that that is why it was such a magical experience doing that show actually because even though i had no sense of personal pride of <laughs> being a tree it was lovely to be that a part <laughs> of something special because you know what we say we saved people's new year's eve experience that night and and it was really nice to just pull it out of the bag and get on with it so as a venue manager do you think it's your responsibility then to to create a culture where that's in people's minds yes where 100%. it's not about where it's not about um you know, one chink in the armor just getting one. Nah, and that's not. I'm. That's not for me to step into. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if I had I not been there, I would have hoped that one of the front of house staff or the technicians or girls behind the bar would have stepped up and done the same because ultimately we're all doing the same thing. It's not. It, I don't have a desire to get the show on any more than anybody else in my team. I think we all want the same thing, mm. and that's that's why I like working in theatre because we all have the same collective goals. No right. matter what department you work in or what your background is, we all do it for the love of doing doing shows and, and working in that environment. So you feel that's an industry thing uh, as much as a, a, a like a personal thing or a, a team thing? Yeah, uh, I think so, yeah. You think it's inherent in the the theatricality of it? I think so. Certainly all the, the, the jobs I've done in the past and the, the groups I've worked with or the uh, companies I've worked for, it's all had that same sort of do or die sort of uh, ethos. You know, you, you, you just need to make sure the show happens, no matter mm. what else is going on, no matter what personal trauma you're going through or what professional drama rubbish is going on in the back, you know, <laughs> yeah. you just pull it out of the bag. And for that 90 minutes, the show is everything. And it's a good distraction sometimes for people, but um, yeah. So I'd like to think it as an industry thing, but yeah. Um, and it's about getting the right people together, obviously in your company to, so that they, they want to do that with you and go on that, on that journey. Cause it, it's sometimes harder. It's sometimes much easier just to go, well, you know what? We've lost our dame. Really sorry guys, but we can't yeah. do the show. That would have been, that would have been so much easier. Um, but it's not the the best the best decision or the best outcome. Is is that just uh, is that just unspoken, Andy, with with people's backgrounds and how they've been trained? Because it's quite interesting for you to say everyone kind of has that mentality almost, um, especially when people who don't work in your industry may seem actors as you know quite diva-ish and you know they're uh, kind of getting to where they need to be in terms of being successful and they're willing to do what they need to do to get to that place. Um, that may be a perception that people outside the industry have of maybe actors, actresses. Um, but you see that definitely as the other way and that there is much more of a kind of we mentality. Yeah, cer certainly all my experiences definitely have been in that way. Um, and just to take the example from last year, you know, that, we, we got a call that morning 
I got woken up at nine o'clock after quite a lot of wine because um, we were celebrating what was what we thought <laughs> was theater. the end of a really great run of Robin Hood um, to then get uh, you know voice notes of our our dame sounding genuinely very very poorly um, and it was just that moment lying in bed thinking what do we do and you know we all, we all sat in my bedroom just trying to work out how we do it and not one of us you know there was me the director choreographer not one of us really thought that not doing the show was an option so we knew that somehow the show would happen and and would happen quite soon we had a show in a few hours so um i think it is an industry thing people the if you're in it for the right reasons and often the reason isn't financial you know you don't unless you're in that top elite of theater or filmmakers that get paid really yeah. well you, you don't do it for for, for money you do it because you love it um then then i think you know that you do have that inbuilt desire just to get the show on in whatever way you can and is there anything that you consider necessary or that you put in place to to ensure that that kind of impulse to get stuck in isn't exploited because we do you know we have i think we've all experienced in sport and in the arts where there is someone looking to make money out of it and our willingness to get stuck in will get exploited is there anything you do to kind of keep a keep a check on that i think for me i it, again it's an, it's 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 naff it's a cliche but i would never do i would never ask someone to do anything i wouldn't do myself so whether that be stepping into a role <laughs> which is really not my job to do if we're going to be funny about it or whether it's helping mop a floor because stuff's been spilled over the floor. I, I can remember doing that to, when I first went to Camberley. We were setting up for a wedding venue and we were setting up overnight because we'd had shows and stuff. So I grabbed, not even instinctively, just, just took a mop and bucket and started doing the floors. I knew we didn't have enough time to get the cleaners in to do everything in the space of time. And just the look of like shock from the chef that we had on the chef's face <laughs> at the time, just like, what? why are you doing this? Like, and... I said, well, why, why aren't I? Like, we need to be done. Mm. We've got tons of stuff that he's doing. Like, why, why wouldn't I? I? I'd expect someone else to do it, so why wouldn't I do it? And it was just this... So I think I've always, I've always worked like that. I've always worked on the basis that I, I just muck in. And I, I'm always drawn to jobs where I don't sit in an office on my own and I'm not, you know, hands-off. I'm very much hands-on. All the roles I've done that I really enjoyed have been... That's why this venue suits me because I like the fact that it's different every day. That I get to work with different people all the time, and I, I get I get to have a sort of a say or an influence in everything, whether it's what we sell behind the bar, what we shows we put on, where we do the shows, who we work with. All that really interests me far more than having a huge off West End production coming in for two weeks. That that doesn't excite me. That what excites me is the variety and and how different every day is um so i think i I just try and pass that on to whoever i work with whether they're full-time staff whether they're creatives actors casual staff and each of them need looking after in a different way um but i i I like to think i'm just consistent across that approach and just try and pass that enthusiasm and pass that mentality on to them I think it does become infectious, doesn't it? 
because uh, I was I was waiting for you to use that word enthusiasm because that's what it sounds like. Because when you speak about it, it, you can just hear the enthusiasm in your voice. Um, and I think that is infectious. And I think that all of us that work in organizations and work with teams, if we can try to be enthusiastic as possible on a day-to-day basis, which isn't always easy um, because we have things going on outside of work and in our personal lives, but if we can be enthusiastic, I, I think people can't help but engage in it and, mm-hmm. and kind of get on board with it. And if they don't, then it's very easy to see who's kind of not on the bus and who is on the bus. Yep. And I think that was one of the challenges we had this year with, with COVID-19 is that our work and our way of working changed or stopped dramatically overnight um, with no real end date of when it was going to get better or go back to some sort of normal and that was a real challenge for us and actually was the first time really I've had managing people that we've had to deal with something like that I'm not talking about just pandemics but a real like change in a shift in tone and a a change in environment Um, and it took me actually probably a few weeks to realize uh, how how that really affected the rest of the team um, to give you an idea, so we we um, we obviously shut on the seventeenth of March um, because we're council owned. We were tasked with um, calling vulnerable residents of the borough to check in with them, give them food parcels, befriend them. Um, so we called about seventy five people a week each for about three or four months. Did that from home. It's not until you wow. sort of stop and you realise actually normally we're used to seeing different faces every day, working on different shows every day doing different shift patterns all the time. And actually, again, I, I really like the fact that my job's not nine to five. When suddenly your working environment is, if you're lucky, seeing a partner that you live with at home, but suddenly your environment is just your living room or your office, you're not seeing new faces, not seeing new people. You're, there is no variety in your job. It is just calling the same people. It's hard and you don't realise how much that affects other people who are used to the same way of working as you are um, I think looking back the the lockdown was quite novel for a few weeks for me I quite enjoyed weirdly quite enjoyed being at home and we had nice weather we'd go for walks and I can get CDs delivered from Amazon and listen to music while I work looking back it was quite fun yeah. really I didn't realize it at the time the thought of a second wave again and having to adjust to all that is is scary because yeah. actually all the thing we do love about the way we work is being together and seeing people and whether that's audiences enjoying your shows or just the camaraderie, I guess, of being in the office and making each other a cup of tea and talking about the show last night or talking about something funny an audience member did or, you know, all those things that just happen when you do these sort of varied jobs. Suddenly those things aren't um, aren't there. 100%. And I think that that's quite a scary thought for a lot of people, I think, in, 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 in if the prospect of lock, lockdown two comes of how that will affect um, and how they'll react to going back to that way of working again. 100%. It's nice to hear that. uh, I know that you said your council owned, so maybe there was that kind of responsibility to check in with people and and do food deliveries and stuff. But it was one of the things that kind of helped me through lockdown. I I helped a charity out uh, with food deliveries and, and parcels and things like that. And it just gave me that structure. Yep. And and it and it also made me feel that I wasn't being useless. I'm super grateful, actually. You know, I was actually able to help people more vulnerable. Yeah, I think as much as it was difficult, and I mean, some of the calls that some of my team had were really difficult to make. Luckily, for me personally, mine were lovely. Um, just a 
a lovely bunch of people who wanted to chat really but some of my team have really difficult ones to talk to you know yeah. various mental health issues physical health issues which when you're when your job is to put shows on and talk to audience members when they come out for a fun evening suddenly having to deal with some really heavy stuff is is a big big change and but i'm super grateful that we had that structure to keep us all going because i mean furlough and not working for a couple of weeks sounds great but that went on for three or four months you know it's still even though we're reopened now exactly. it's still not gone back to normal it's not it's not gonna be normal probably till september next year um so i'm really grateful that we did have something to keep us going and give us some sort of routine because otherwise without it i think we'd have been struggling even more than some of us did definitely i know i would have been struggling more so yeah there's so much about how you are describing the work that you took on during covid that fits with this idea of uh mucking in of like a cultural understanding, an environmental understanding that there's work that needs to get done. We have uh, a responsibility while we're being a theatre to look after our audience. That doesn't go away when we have to stop making theatre. That yeah. that you are... It's, it's interesting to consider it as a community centre even though it's not like come in, mm. make a cup of tea and start knitting, mm. theatres perform such a kind of a social glue function within communities that that I can see how it will have felt natural that you got given a list of phone numbers and everyone yeah. just went, yep. So was that ev every single employee or every single full-time employee or did you draft in your casual workers? So all our, all our full-time um, staff so there's eight of us including myself um and then other staff in the council who did that as well um but it, it was quite a natural fit for us to get involved in that because like you say theatres have a, a very important part to play in communities that people don't often realize or understand um but they really would realize it if they weren't there mm. um and i think that's what we noticed in in lockdown is normally people don't bother to get in touch with you unless they've got a complaint to make or a moan to make that's not just a theatre thing that's we do it all the time, don't we? When do you ever email the shop manager to say, had great service today? You don't. You email to say, I have really bad service. So, But overnight almost, when we, we took control of the the comms that was going out to all our customers to say, you know, this show's been cancelled, been rescheduled. We don't know when it happened. It was all changing so quickly. But the amount of lovely emails and calls we got from people was, was really quite shocking. Mm. Um, you know, when they've all got their own stuff going on as well, they've got the people losing their jobs or their families are being affected by this so it, it, it brought out the best in people and i think we were a good fit for it because whether we're selling tickets or checking in to see how someone's health is it's the same thing really yeah. it's it's working with people it's looking after people and we're in the we're in the business of making people feel good and we can't do that in so much as putting on a, a show so we could do it temporarily by just giving them a call for 10 minutes a week and just checking in with them yeah it's yes crucial and did you did you get involved in food deliveries or anything like that once that once it escalated towards that yeah so uh, and that only stopped recently um mm. our two technicians were going out every day doing food parcels um picking up prescriptions and dropping them to people's houses because you know suddenly people overnight people relied on their grandsons to take stuff to them they couldn't do that anymore so mm. we were we were literally fulfilling almost every 
every member of the family they couldn't see that we, we were there their neighbor, their niece, their brother, their sister, all, all at once, you know. And for some people, it was really a step outside the comfort zone. But again, I think it's that, that built-in thing of, come on, we, we're all doing this together. We need to do it. That not one person grumbled. Naturally, even like loads of our casual staff were begging to get involved in it because they wanted to they wanted to help. And I think it brings out the best in people sometimes. And that's such a challenge to how we feel about the last you know several months is that we have watched it do both of those things bring out the best and really certainly now as we're trying to recover it feels like bringing out some of the worst qualities or the most frustrating qualities in in others that that will make us worry about things like uh, you know second waves uh, in terms of recovery in terms of bringing your venue back to the job of being a venue, has that work started? Yes. Um, so we we reopened um, in the beginning of September for largely film and event cinema um, functions. As we go through towards the end of this year, a lot more comedy um, and small scale work. It's interesting, actually, when, when we first got into lockdown, it was very much shows can't happen, mm. everything stops. Now it's gone on as long as it has. I mean, I, personally, I thought by August we would be, we, we just moved everything from March, April, May to August and we thought we'd have a really busy August. Bob's your uncle done. Obviously, I massively underestimated that. Um, so <laughs> some, some shows have been moved three or four times. Um, so now everyone is being much more flexible about what we can do, yeah. not worrying about what we can't. Um, so, you know, whether that's doing two comedy gigs in the night, um, whether it's maybe doing a, a Motown show, but playback rather than with live band, um, cutting out the projections in the Pink Floyd show um, because it saves touring costs and stuff like that. So people mm. are being much more flexible. Um, and I think people just have a desire to go and work rather than, rather than, I think, worrying about doing the show exactly how it was before. People are now very open and willing and, and are working in a much more flexible way. Um, so we've got a, a, a big season coming next year, which um, is exactly that, a kind of social distance season, kind of mirroring the fringe model of two shows a night, mm. uh, no interval, so we can keep everyone safe and keep people getting in and out of the building really quick. Um, so it's nice. It's nice to be having. It's nice to have something like that on, and to do. Whereas when when we were in the first lockdown, it was kind of just quite bleak because we didn't know when the date was going to come. So now we've got, now we know at least we're in this situation till the end of March. Venues like us can now start planning and focus on what we can do. And how do you use that information or use that planning to? To keep, have you had to let people go and you'll be bringing them back or is it about hanging on to them and, and kind of communicating a sense of morale? The, big, the biggest challenge we've had is um, with casual staff because, I mean, casual staff are diff difficult anyway um, to, to look after in the same way because you know, don't see them all the time. And some have got different jobs, some have got different uh, uni, caring for people, mums, you know, it's, it's got a whole mix of people in that casual staff umbrella i mean our, our, we were lucky we managed, we furloughed all ours um so between at least march and august they were all getting paid which was a big relief for for them 
Um, obviously, since coming back, it's slower. But we're, we're again, we're just keeping in touch with them best we can. We've been doing, I'm sure like everybody else, tons of Zoom quizzes and trying to just keep in touch with people. You know, we never had to do those things before because we were seeing them at least on a shift basis when they came in. So it's been it's been interesting trying to think of ways to to keep in touch with people, whether that be our staff, our customers. And we have seen a really positive response to that, you know, whether I say that's customers yeah. saying thanks so much for taking the time, whether it's again staff getting joining that Zoom call and taking the time out their evening. Because one thing to come on a out on a Thursday evening to work at seven o'clock when you're getting paid, but when you're sitting at home to take an hour out of your day to do a Zoom call for a quiz that I've thrown together, that's a that's another commitment, you know. Uh, and I don't profess Absolutely. to be a good quiz master, so uh, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for their patience. <laughs> So it sounds like, and this is maybe in line with the the theatrical atmosphere or culture that you've gone on a hunt for some positives within this COVID process, within uh, the having to adapt. We have a we have a, a question that we ask everyone that we call coaches make coaches where we want to know who taught you to lead or be a team member in the way that you are and what do you carry from them as you, you know, as you lead or as you are part of a team? Is there anyone in particular from, from your journey that has influenced how you manage people or how you've responded to this situation and what is it that, that, that you've kept from them? Um, so I think I, I, I learn from people all the time and not, not necessarily just the good stuff Like you take away the, 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 the times when you were managed or when you've been taught something that it didn't, you didn't resonate with you or mm. it didn't work, not because they were a bad teacher or because they were a bad manager because it didn't suit you. It didn't, it didn't work for me. Um, so I think I'm always conscious of that. I'm always trying to. I've learned so much during COVID, like during this COVID pandemic about the way I lead my team and communicate with my team. And just because I'm fine with something doesn't mean to say that everyone in my team is, um, you know, my calls were relatively easy. Someone else in my team's calls are quite difficult just because of the luck of the draw and the subject nature of their um, issues. Um, someone that sticks out in my mind that actually really focused me was actually my, my drama teacher at school. Um, who I still speak to now, actually, not so much in a, um, in like a, a sounding board way, but I mean, she emailed me and said, Oh, can you give me some sound bites for my, to attract some students to my A-level course? Mm. Um, and like the nice. words just came out, the words came out so easy because we actually followed quite a similar path. Like we went, like, I went to the same university that she'd gone to, uh, on her recommendation. Um, and yeah, she she just she's just a good person and a good. That's what I don't want to try and I I never aim to be a good manager or a good leader or a good coach. I just want to be a good person and like that. I hope that like you said earlier that that enthusiasm for what you do um, is infectious and, and rubs off on people. One of the biggest people that inspires me is actually someone that's not in theatre. And I, I heard your podcast the other week uh, and uh, talk about football. 
and uh, I'm a Newcastle fan. Um, and Bobby Robson had the eight ways of managing uh, a squad. It's up on YouTube. It's in his film that came out. It's an incredible film. Um, and I think yeah, it's his, lady, his wife, Lady Elsie, is reading out this these eight steps to inspiring a good team. And I actually played it to my to my team when we had a team meeting about two years ago. None of them were interested in football at all. But like, all those things are absolutely <laughs> transferable. Um, so I think there's lots of people, even in non in my non-theatre life that inspire me, whether they be really good football managers or just the way I hear people talking about an album they've made or um, the way, like I don't know, like a parent talks about their kid doing something. Those, those, those inspirational people that just literally live and breathe and love what they do and love who they're talking about is are the people that really inspire me rather than I can't, I couldn't tell you there's one director that I've worked with in my life that's, that I've tr- tried to replicate. I'm trying to get, I tried to get all the, the best bits of uh, various people I've worked with and, or, and, and polish the bits that actually I didn't like about somebody and try and make that better because often you can see an, an approach that really works, but you think, oh, maybe, maybe that just tweaked that a little bit. That could have really been more successful. So mm. a long winded answer, Mark. No, to your perfect. Question. It sounds like it fits together with this idea that if you treated everyone like they were the dame or the tree, you'd be missing a trick with the people who are behind the bar. Or if you treated everyone like they were the, you know, the cleaners, you'd be missing a trick with the people who sit behind the box office. That by bringing it back to focusing on, am I treating this person like a person? There's a baseline there. Am I being a good guy? (laughs) Well, I mean, take that box office bar example is is a good one because if you work in the box office, you need tons of information because you're going to get asked tons of questions. Mm. And I can guarantee you, you could both go and get tickets for the same show and you'll both come up with absurdly weird questions <laughs> to ask a box office person. I mean, everyone probably read those blogs of top weird things that they ask at a box office, you know. Whereas when you're getting a drink pre-show at a bar, you don't ask those questions because it's transactional. So actually, I don't know, you know Sean has a office- pretty crazy drink order. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please, please don't come to our theatre, Sean. Um, <laughs> but, you know, they, they, the, the, the bar staff, all, you don't want to bombard them with stuff, whereas actually your box office staff are like sponges and they need to retain that information mm. because it helps them sell that ticket. You know, when someone's unsure whether they're going to commit to come and see that show, that extra bit of information can be really helpful to a, a member behind the staff behind the bar when they've already come in from doing another job or been looking after their kids all day, that actually too much information is too much. So yeah, you've got, you've got to be adaptable. But you do want to communicate that sense of enthusiasm so that they're then communicating that onwards. I love how you've brought up um, Bobby Robson. Uh, I I watched that documentary and I completely forgot about that, that those eight points. Um, So thank you for that reference because I'll definitely be going back to check that out. I'm sure I'll be able to use that in sort of my own coaching so thank you for that and yeah that enthusiasm that he brought to it I mean, he is just the most inspirational guy isn't he exactly 100 percent. i could just hear him read the phone book and just be moved by it and yeah and that's, that's not because i'm a newcastle fan i mean he was the most no, he was loved man, by everyone he was wasn't he he really was and that, i think that film really shows that definitely i don't know what either of you are talking about <laughs> i challenge you to watch it and you will be moved then then I shall. Perfect answer. 
and then we want to finish up and it feels almost like a hugely uh, like a public service to say what do you want to plug um i'd just love for you to I'd plug our uh, website basically so come and see if you're in the surrey area come and see um the work we've done to make it safe for you to come um come and see some shows we've worked hard on getting secured um and i'm really grateful for the artists and promoters and producers we work with who are taking a risk as well and taking a gamble on getting shows back on the road so cambrytheatre.co.uk come and see a show and say hi if you see us but yeah <laughs> just come and uh, come and see a show it'd be lovely Absolutely. We'll put a link to that in the in the show notes. Andy, thank you so much for coming on. There's thank you. Uh, so many facets to what you're doing at the moment and areas where it feels like being business-like and health and safety are at the top, but also just rocking it with that empathy and, and community spirit like is, is super uplifting at a time when finding finding opportunities to feel positive are more scarce just the idea and being reminded that that there are organizations there are people within those organizations that are individuals but that are thinking about everyone as part of the team uh, i i've experienced it as a theater person and it's just lovely to hear you embodying it thank you and thank you for coming on it's a pleasure thank you thank you so much andy it's lovely to meet you and to speak to you um, and I wish you all the best um, in your uh, theatre. And uh, me and Mark should probably stroll by. We're, we're, we're not very close to Surrey, but we should make the trip, Mark. Yeah, a, a staff outing. Uh. That would be great. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so happy to get Andy on. Yeah, awesome. Uh, at this time in particular. Exactly. I feel like we're kind of getting the first sort of feedback on what it's been like for those people working in the kind of creative industry, uh, you know, so... Yeah, really, we've had really it, we've, interesting. Like, as educators and the timing of it, we've had it quite easy in that we didn't lose our wages. No, exactly. There was a summer holiday in the middle of it. Yeah, I think we've had a very different experience from from a lot of people. You do need that perspective as far as other organisations go on just how much work it takes to keep places together and to keep that morale up and to, like Andy was saying recognize that my experience is not going to be the same as others and that be how I frame my management style. Yeah, um, and I mean, I think, you know, obviously we've had guests on now every single week for, you know, the last six months or whatever it may be. And we could have mentioned COVID during a lot of that time and we kind of made a conscious decision not to. <laughs> Other than much. when we had a medical professional on, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that was more specific. Yeah, that was more specific. But I think, and one of the reasons was because we want to kind of have lots of takeaways and practical advice for people about, you know, as as we advertise running teams, leading them um, and how to get the best from them. And I think being in the pandemic uh, at its peak was difficult to do that uh, for several reasons. Whereas I feel like now, 
uh, yes, there may be second waves, etc. But, you know, we're trying to move towards a bit more of a new normal. And I think that this is a good time to kind of get people's perspective and learnings from be, the last Be reflective months. and have lessons exactly. learned. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that this episode definitely done that. And you must have enjoyed that he dropped some uh, Bobby Robson on us at the end. There. 100%. You know, sport can just not get, uh, can can never not get a mention. You know, who thought that a theatre venue manager would be dropping sort of Bobby Robson into a chat? But no, he really reminded me of that documentary that he mentioned. And hopefully we can find a link for that uh, in the show notes. Um, just about his eight points. Uh, for sort of uh, managing sort of a team. I don't think people would say Bobby Robson was the most technical sort of manager, but what he could get a group of of people to do for him. Uh, and also not just in the UK. He was one of the few British managers who actually went and coached abroad and, and, and coached at Barcelona, you know, one of the hugest clubs in the world and the culture that comes with with that organisation um, and done a terrific job and the players that worked with him at Barcelona have lots of love for him uh, as well as any player that he worked with um, and the documentary goes through that, yeah, so it was great that Andy um, uh, brought that up actually. And it sounds like Andy is embodying that what you're describing it's not just about being technical or strategic it's about being able to get people on the bus it's about absolutely sharing enthusiasm sharing motivation in a way that other people buy in so crucial right now absolutely i think the two sort of big takeaways for me with with uh, speaking with andy was just one his genuine passion for what he does um and i'm sure that that enthusiasm is passed around his team and the people that work with him um and secondly the fact that he seems to have had an upbringing or a background of just cracking on as i like to say or mucking in as i think you referred to on the episode um and doing things that you know you'd you'd expect others to do and if you're seen to be, to be doing the dirty work so to speak then you know i think it helps people that maybe are below you in terms of the hierarchy of the of the organization um to kind of chip in as well uh, and i think that's so important to remember definitely uh, it feels like that exists in in education as well even in private education there is a a sense that of community that means chipping in is is the given absolutely i don't know how someone from uh surrey ends up becoming a newcastle fan that's always a mystery to me i know um, <laughs> <laughs> it was going to be a question but i thought it could take us on a, a path to add another 20 minutes onto the interview so i left it and um, but that is the end of the podcast We've got uh, some more guests coming up next week uh, that we're very excited about. We've been having to kind of re reorganise ourselves, um, but it's a bit—it's a big one next week, hopefully, uh, subject to it not having to change again. And of course, if there's anyone you want us to be talking to or any things you want us to be talking about, you can uh, contact us on social media at no i podcast. Uh, you can hit Sean and I up on LinkedIn or uh, by email, Mark or sean at noipodcast.show super grateful to andy for being on today very excited for the next episode thank you sean as always for being uh, the only way i can access guests information about football <laughs> more than welcome mark all that's left <laughs> all, all, all that's left for today is uh, for me to say goodbye from sean goodbye guys and goodbye from me goodbye 
Must be like the wolf pack. Teamwork. Yes.